Welcome to ReChurch. I'm Marshall Fant, the Director of Church Consulting and Strategic Planning for Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. My purpose is to encourage pastors and church leaders as you refocus, renew, and revitalize your churches. We've established this podcast to offer practical tips and suggestions as you equip disciples to make disciples. This is Marshall Fant with GFA Missions. Welcome back to our next podcast of ReChurch. Today we have the special opportunity of talking about ministering cross-culturally within the United States. I have three guests with us today, and we have Joseph and Rachel. So Joseph and Rachel, welcome. Thank you. And a little bit about y'all's background. You're a cross-cultural couple, Mm -hmm. and you minister in a state community Mm -hmm. area, Mm -hmm. and your burden is to reach those that God sends our way. Mm So you're really reaching the world as God sends the world to us. Is that a fair way to say it? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Uh, you want to say anything else? And sure. And as an introduction, and then also want to welcome my wife Gretchen, who has also ministered cross-culturally, majored in French, so she's always been burdened with other cultures and mm-hmm. studied abroad, but also reach out to internationals uh, by teaching English. But first, mm-hmm. we want to start with Joseph and Rachel, and y'all have done this a long time. First, how long you've been married? We've been married 12 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've been doing the specific ministry of reaching out cross-culturally within the city you live in for how long? For 12 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, all 12 years? All yeah. 12 wow. years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, I have the privilege of knowing y'all, okay? Mm-hmm. And I also have the privilege of reading a paper that the two of you wrote mm-hmm. about ministering to internationals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I want to start with is the biblical theology about that. So Joseph, you want to pick it up sure. about scriptural admonition in this area? Sure. So first of all, thank you for the opportunity. My wife and I have been ministering cross-culturally primarily to international students and scholars in a local church context for 12 years. My day job is I'm a faculty member at a, at a state university, so we don't do this full-time. But the Lord has just opened doors for us to minister to uh, many international students and scholars. So over the, the last 12 years or so, Rachel and I, Rachel's native to here, she's, she's American. I came from India, and came to, to the United States as a graduate student. And so we, we've learned several things in the context of our marriage. Uh-huh. Okay, so and Rachel, we'll stop right there. Uh-huh. What's the biggest thing you've learned about marriage in a cross-cultural family? What would be one oh, one wow. biggie right there? What would just... Um, that you have to be open to rethinking things, that some of the things that we may have assumed might look different when we translate them into different contexts. Such as? Hmm. Help me out, dear. Uh, How to present the gospel. Yeah, well, yes, of course, that's the big one. Mm -hmm. How to present the gospel when we're here in the U.S. It comes from um, a different kind of context because people have an understanding, a basic understanding, because this is at least um, traditionally been a culture with Christian roots, but when we're doing it to people who are from cultures that have no understanding of the gospel, mm-hmm. and many of their cultures are what mm-hmm. we consider to be honor-shame cultures, right. so th- we'll right. get into that, I'm we sure, get into but that. yeah, yeah. That, that, that really does translate mm-hmm. into how we but, share but the gospel. But this, this area is huge. I mean, yeah. Joseph, yeah. comment, I read a stat you gave me 
that one out of every something like 300 that's right would you comment on that yep so what is that stat again one in 300 people in the United States that are living working in the United States are international students right, now I found that fascinating I had no idea yeah. when and, you shared and, that. and that's not to mention those who are working here on uh, work visas, H-1 mm -hmm. visas, those who are here as refugees, mm -hmm. those who are first-generation immigrants. That's just international students. Well, so as we're talking to this, this really affects almost every pastor and pastor and deacons listening to this. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. Right. And also, I think this is critical to our witness as a Christian community. Mm -hmm. I think for us as believers, the, the world points to us as bigoted and narrow-minded, but right from the inception of the church in Acts, the church was multicultural. Yeah. Mm. And um, right, What about the Old Testament? So let's start there. Yeah. I know there's a, there's a passage you bring out in Deuteronomy mm -hmm. about ministering to strangers and sojourners. Mm -hmm. So would you just comment there and then walk us up to the New Testament with the instructions we have about ministering this way? Yeah. So right from the Torah, right from the first five books of the Bible, we see God places a premium on reaching out to the sojourner, to the foreigner. We see time and again, God says in His law, remember to do this because you were sojourners as well. Mm -hmm. So God seems to have a special heart for, for sojourners. Now in the New Testament, you already got into Acts, but I just wanted to back mm -hmm. up there. So in the book of Acts, we have cross-cultural, mm -hmm. and then Christ ministering. I know at least three specific examples, even though he ministered mainly to the Jews. Mm -hmm. There are at least three specific examples where he ministered cross-culturally. You want to comment anything on that? Sure. sure. So in, in the Gospels, I think even the Gospel writers, as they reflect on the ministry of the Lord, they are struck by how impactful and surprising to them Gentile faith was. Mm. We see in Mark, for example, Mark notes the faith of a centurion. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, I have not found faith like this even in Israel. <laughs> we see Jesus ministering in the Syrophoenician area and a woman is there and she persists her because of her faith she persists and Jesus commends her faith later on after the ascension of the Lord it seems like God used Paul primarily because of his cross-cultural background yeah. Paul was able unlike Peter and some of the other apostles to translate the gospel cross-culturally because he grew up in a Greco-Roman context, but he was Jewish. Right. So you see him throughout the pastoral epistles dealing with cross-cultural issues. Should we eat meat offered to idols? Mm. You see him speaking up in Acts 15 in the Jerusalem Council because of Paul's cross-cultural translation of the gospel, he was uniquely used. You see almost Peter and James sort of fading to the background while Paul comes to the fore because he seems uniquely gifted. Let me say one more thing. In 1995, Ralph Winter, who is a famous missiologist, wrote something that's been very impactful to me. He says, it's only when one begins to take the gospel cross-culturally 
that one understands what the gospel truly is and what it's not. Okay, you want to expand on that? I think Rachel got into that a little bit in her early conversation. I know Gretchen's had experience in that. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, can we hold that whole <laughs> gospel context to our, later in our discussion? If we can, let's pick up on this, the idea of a missional philosophy, but also this is issue of stewardship. You bring that out. Mm-hmm. So on a typical week, mm-hmm. uh, and Gretchen, I'll get you to comment when you did it as well. Typical week, how many internationals are you interacting with, either at church or at your home? At this point, I know it varies up and down because students come and students go, mm-hmm. but you're really touching about how many lives per week? I Just think roughly. we have regular contact with about 50 internationals. Okay. And I, I think that's about right. And Gretchen, when you taught English as a second language, mainly to wives of those here in in school, you would have just the wives, you would have 10, 12? Well, I would have maybe, maybe 10 or 12, but then we had other classes too. Mm-hmm. So we had probably, we could have as many as 20, Okay. or 25 mm-hmm. students at one time. And then as other churches began teaching English as a second language, sometimes those mm-hmm. uh, numbers would go down. So it would just depend. Mm-hmm. All right, so what I'm trying to point out, there's a stewardship aspect of, of reaching. There is no other language for you to learn. They're coming here speaking English, right? right? You're in your context, your home. Right. You're ministering mm-hmm. in your city. You're raising children in the American culture. Mm-hmm. You're not on deputation. You didn't spend three or four years on deputation. No but the world's coming to you. Right. So you want to comment on the stewardship aspect of ministering to internationals? I mean, I'm not saying don't send missionaries. We know we're to make disciples of all nations. Anything you want to add to that? Because I know that was, a, that was an aspect you told me about was the stewardship. Anything else you want to bring up about okay, that? Okay, yeah. I'd like to say something about that. I think some, to add something, something that I noticed was that when, for instance, uh, I had a lot of Chinese students, when they come here, it's a particularly good time to confront them, uh, not confront them, I mean teach them and confront them with the gospel eventually uh, because they're away from their culture, they're away from their families. Mm-hmm. And when they are home, if you were to go to their culture, there would be a lot of family pressure. There's always family pressure, but when they get away, it's kind of like the, the child freshman, you know, going off to college, all they don't have their family to be answering to. And I, yeah, think, I think that's a, an issue. So, so I've lived mm-hmm. overseas. I'm the product of, of Christian missionaries, and I've seen firsthand what cost, not only financial, emotional, uh, all, all sorts of cost associated with a couple of family from the U.S., from the West, going to another mm-hmm. uh, country. What I mentioned in, in an article I wrote is when we have people coming here, mm-hmm. And the opportunity mm-hmm. to get them to our home, to our context, in an organic, not forced, not artificial way, but something organic. Just invite them into our lives. That seems intuitively more easy. And it seems like it's ordained by the Lord 
you know, for that to happen. And one thing that we know is that many of the students who are coming here are coming from countries that it's more and more difficult for us to send missionaries in a traditional sense to. There we go. Yes. So we have opportunities, and many of them go back to their home country mm -hmm. after they finish. And the students who come here are brilliant. They're yeah. the best in their society. So they go back to really leadership positions with lots of opportunities. So not only a stewardship aspect of travel and all that, but also as Rachel has said, the strategic of them coming here, but countries we can't get into. That's right, like okay. Saudi Arabia. Yeah, mm -hmm. and Gretchen mentioned the Chinese. The Chinese. Now I want to piggyback on something. Mm -hmm. Gretchen said, I want you all to comment because I have the privilege of seeing you live it out. Joseph, you used the word vulnerable, that strangers and sojourners are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so one way y'all take that away is by using your home mm -hmm. as well as after the Sunday a.m. service as a time for meals. Mm -hmm. So you have a, a huge aspect of hospitality yeah. opening the heart and giving a platform for the gospel. Right. So if we just could take maybe the rest of this podcast and talk about just that aspect okay. of hospitality and lay it out. Uh, we understand why, but to explain the how-tos yeah. and the benefits. Okay, mm -hmm. so I know you've thought through this, so tell mm -hmm. us, and Gretchen, feel free to comment, what are some of the guidelines that we Americans mm -hmm. may have programmed in our mind? This is the way we do it. Uh, so unprogram me yeah. and tell me the how-tos of hospitality. We know the whys, yeah. but tell me the how-tos. So maybe I can start here with some philosophical points, and then Rachel does the living it out. Okay. But first, in many countries from which inter these international students come, Christianity is portrayed as a religion where people force convert mm -hmm. other people. They stand mm -hmm. on campus corners and hand out tracts or forcibly talk with people. Well, our approach is radically different. What we have strived to do is invite people to our home, mm -hmm. invite people to share a meal. Mm -hmm. And even in our Bible study, we don't have expectations for quick conversions. Uh, and I think it is paramount that we create a culture of mutual respect mm -hmm. and honor, showing honor to those we minister to. Secondly. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Yeah. So in your article that I read, you said 75% of the international students have never been invited to a home. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So mm -hmm. the stats prove that this needs to be done. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, so continue on. I didn't mean to interrupt. But. But, but secondly, I think the American way of life, as I've observed it, I've been in this country for about 15 years, but I've, as I've observed the American way of life, in contrast with, generally speaking, the Eastern way of life, Americans are very time conscious. They, mm -hmm. they plan their, mm -hmm. their time, weeks, months, years in advance. Mm -hmm. Their, their meetings are very scheduled. The start time and the stop time is known to everybody. RSVPs are expected for events. Well, that is totally not how people mm -hmm. who grew up in Eastern contexts live. Mm -hmm. It's not how Jesus lived. But for us, mm -hmm. as and, and this might be when you asked the question earlier on, this was something that I've watched Rachel grow in. She mm -hmm. comes, she grew up in New England, so she comes from very time-centric culture, but ministering mm -hmm. to internationals, 
has stretched her in that way. So maybe yeah. I'll, I'll let you pick it up. From yeah, here. well, I mean, my husband hit on a lot of this, but because of what I guess I in particular have come to understand through studying and interacting with internationals, the way our ministry works is that we very, very seldom request an RSVP. That would be very rare. There are some large-scale events where it's kind of more important. But when we meet weekly, we never know from one week to the next, besides the fact that we know these people on a personal level, so we know when they're going out of town or they'll text us when they're Mm -hmm. sick. But Mm -hmm. we really don't know who's going to be there and how many to plan for, and I've just come to peace with that. (laughs) And that's okay. Really, it takes some practice, but that can work. But it's the hostess Mm -hmm. and it's the cook, if I use that word, the chef preparing the meal. We got to rethink that, right? Yeah. I'm very scheduled. Yeah. Yeah. If you tell me I got to do, I, you know, right. I, no, I'm, I, I just, I'm out of here. I can't handle yeah. it. So but for it, us, it looks like technically our meetings begin at six thirty. We gather at six thirty on a weeknight for what for us is a Bible study, but it begins with a meal. The meal begins at six thirty, and the people trickle in really any time from six o'clock or even earlier, um, all the way through eight eight o'clock. So the meal is served from 6.30 to 7.30 and around 7.30 we try our very best to wrap things up and move into Bible study. Our meal is simple. It's not fancy food. It's eaten on paper plates. Mm -hmm. I set it up buffet style. People take it out on our porch. People take it out to our living room. We have a dining room. Kids are spread out playing throughout our house. Sometimes there's people playing board games. It's a very informal Mm -hmm. family type atmosphere. But you do it every week. We do it every week, and that's really important. So there is a commitment and then a consistency. Is that fair to say? Yes, and that's important on our part. We are committed to that, to the extent that for us, we even, when we have had to be out of town, we will leave a key with one of our team members, and the meeting continues in our home. Mm -hmm. Because the internationals, we do send out very very light emails weekly with basic information but we don't want them to have to think is this the third thursday that falls in (laughs) you know they don't know sometimes from one day to the next what their advisor is going to require of them or all the other moving pieces in their lives so they have to know that when they wake up on friday no matter what else falls in their day if their evening is free they can show up at our house and they know you know, no matter what else is going on, there will be a gathering at our home. Even sometimes on holidays, we really make very few, if any, exceptions to that. Our home is open every Friday night. All right, so a commitment, a consistency. What else, Joseph? What we've seen in our ministry is this sort of consistency and commitment actually paves the way for deeper relationship. Mm-hmm. Because in the community, now you're known as people who care, people who will listen to you, people to whose home you could go. If we had just recently, we had one of our students, her air conditioning unit uh, wasn't functional, so she came, Rachel invited her to spend several days in our home. But consistency and commitment buys, earns the trust of people. Can opens it, the door to their heart. But I've also heard you say that the sensitivity towards the meals being served sure. mm-hmm. is also, you, would you comment mm-hmm. on that? Just yeah. in case somebody's thinking about it, because I know yeah. 
you know, this can get into yeah, that, different that cultures, be, right? right? That can be overwhelming. Um, a couple of tips that I would put regarding that. Meat is probably the area where you're going to have the most sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And among those who eat meat, chicken is almost universally a safe option. Okay. Uh, beef can be problematic for some, pork can be problematic right. for others, but chicken is generally safe. When I cook, I cook one meat option, one vegetable option, and then a lentil or a bean or a soup or something of that type, and rice. That's and a lot of rice. A lot just, of rice. I mean, I've seen it, not just a little. <laughs> and a lot of the internationals are used to these staples, right? Yeah, rice is a staple, yeah. lentils are staples. And the other thing I would say regarding food is that you don't have to cook international food. I happen to have learned to love to cook Indian food. But even if you're cooking American foods, look for the things that kind of have a a strong dose of flavor in them, maybe chili, something that uses a good bit of seasoning. Most cultures around the world use a lot more seasoning than we do. Salt and pepper is probably as much as some of us from the Midwest and other parts of our country use, and that's pretty minimal for most parts of the world. You know, Gretchen, when you were doing the Chinese ladies, it was uh, sweets were quite different, right? Yes, yes, sweets were different. And another thing that was really different, this is when we were just getting started and trying to reach out to the internationals. We had this brilliant idea that we were going to have an international dinner. Hmm. So first of all, we did it at the church, which it might have been better to do it in the home. And then we also had different people sign up for different international dishes. And the internationals came, but they were really disappointed we didn't have American food. (laughs) So I learned there that you don't have to have, in fact, they prefer you to have American food. They prefer that you speak English so that they can, they prefer those things. I would say don't try to cook international food unless you know how to cook it well. (laughs) Rachel's been doing this for 12 years. It's taken her a long time. But as an international, I would just encourage anybody listening, if you're an American, it's the gesture that counts Mm -hmm. more than Mm -hmm. the food. Mm -hmm. And if the Lord has given you a heart to know and love internationals, that will come with time. Mm -hmm. But just the gesture of eating together, of preparing. Mm -hmm. As a family. As a family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. because I know we uh, one time had my grandmother at our Mm -hmm. home with an international, and they were fascinated because their view of age, the older the person, the more they appreciate them. Right. Mm-hmm. All right, so on hospitality, we need to kind of wrap this mm-hmm. up. So consistent, mm-hmm. flexible, mm-hmm. Um, sensitive, mm-hmm. uh, American staple foods, fine. Mm-hmm. You don't have to cook, you know, yeah. international yeah. food. Yeah. Lots of it. Uh, <laughs> be careful of the meats, right? Yeah. Chicken safe. Yeah. But the main thing is your home. Mm-hmm. And I know your children, they minister right along uh, beside yeah. you, do That's they right. not? That's right. So this is a family activity uh-huh. for you. That's right. Yes. And, okay. and, and I heard this once from someone who is ministering cross-culturally. This man was ministering to Muslims, and he said, the biggest, the most powerful witnessing tool I have found is our relationships. Hmm. Relationships as a family, relationships with other Christians or team members, internationals watch. And they know if it's for real mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. And when they come, just a week and a half ago, I was talking with an international and, and he said to me, the way your wife 
looks at you when you teach the Bible, I know this thing is for real. Huh? Wow. <laughs> wow. So they are watching. They are watching. They know. And that's another reason to open our homes and our lives to them yeah. so they can, they can see whether this is for real or not. Okay, this has been a great conversation. I want to continue it with another second podcast focusing on really mm-hmm. maybe the activities you do with them, but also more importantly, how to present the gospel cross-culture, because I think that's the reason we do this, yeah. is to let them see Jesus through your life. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So Gretchen, uh, Joseph, and Rachel, thank you for being with us. Again, this is Marshall Fant. If you'd like to contact me and I can give you further information from Joseph and Rachel or Gretchen, you can email me at mfant at gfamissions.org. And again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You're listening to ReChurch, a podcast of Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. If you would like more information about our ministry or how we may assist you and your church, visit us at gfamissions.org slash consulting.